with the guys last night, and uh, uh, he's also uh, with us tonight at our Cornerstone Covenant service, and uh, he's in the UK for just a, a few weeks. Uh, Guy, I, uh, I first got to know Guy through reading his books, and uh, uh, I want to recommend uh, two to you. Um, one, there are other books as well that Guy's brought. Um, Eyes Fixed on Jesus is probably the best book I've read on spiritual warfare because it, it puts it the right way round. Our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on the enemy. And if you've never read it or read a book on spiritual warfare because they've all been wacky, this is not a wacky book. This is a sensible book on spiritual warfare and a biblical book on spiritual warfare. I recommend it to you. I have not read this book, but I'm going to read it. And this is uh, Guy's novel that he's written. And uh, it's, I, I would say it's primarily for men, but it's for everyone. Sorry, it's for everyone. I've already cut out half. Sorry. Ah, oh, this book is for everyone. It's called Out of the Rough. It's set initially in the context of golf. And women play golf very well. So it's for everybody. And it's a journey, and a journey to revelation. It's a book you can give to a non-Christian friend. It's not overtly uh, preachy or in that way, but it's, it's a book you can give to a friend just to get them thinking. So uh, if you've got someone's birthday coming up, they're available too. Out of the Rough. It's actually endorsed by a guy called Sean Foley, uh, who is Tiger Woods's swing coach. So you didn't know that Tiger danced, but he has a swing. <laughs> it just came to me. No, it's golf swing. I need a holiday. We're going to pray for you, Guy. Would you like just to come and stand and uh, we'll pray. Please join me in, in praying for Guy. Father, we thank you for this man. And we thank you for revealing yourself to him and bringing him into that wonderful salvation. Thank you that you called him out of darkness into your wonderful light and that you have given him a ministry to preach and teach and exhibit your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless him as he comes amongst us as a brother. Uh, we honor him as a man of God and we look forward to hearing from you through him. And we pray that you would anoint him but anoint us to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Guy. There's a, I think this is switched on. Yep. Well, good morning. God bless you. Wonderful to be back with you. Uh, speaking with Phil about what uh, I might bring, he said uh, you've been looking, considering different aspects of prayer of late, and uh, so... I love to preach on prayer. 
I became a Christian when I was 17 years old through a non-denominational high school ministry called Young Life. And I am forever indebted to Shane Baker and Al Tustin, our Young Life leaders. They so poured their life, the life of the Lord, into me. They became my spiritual big brothers. And uh, I, I don't, I, I have no idea what my life would be like were it not for their love and their friendship. Um, I'd come from a non-Christian family, knew nothing about the Bible, nothing about God, certainly nothing about prayer. And, uh, you know, if you will, I was a spiritual zero. So they had uh, a fairly easy time. They didn't have to help me unlearn anything uh, except um, rubbish and just poured life into me, the life of Christ. None of the things, they taught me how to pray, and it was no big deal. In prayer, we talked to God, and through his word, he spoke to us. Um, prayer, essentially, um, was that simple. Putting our heart's concerns before the Lord, and then looking to the word to hear his heart. Foundational texts for their understanding, the, the understanding that they taught me, were James 4, 2, you have not because you ask not. And Matthew 7, 7, ask and you'll receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened. And then John 15, 7, ask whatever you want and you shall have it. Now, they didn't put any of those verses into context, sadly. Just one for instance, the, the James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. The context in that passage, the location that verse is set in, James is speaking about humility. You have not humility because you're not asking after it. Oops. You know, the Lord's so gracious that he'll work humility into our lives whether or not we ask for it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other message. Um, I still actually have some of my old prayer lists from those very early years. And at the top of my prayer list was a 750 Honda. All, all my buddies had 750 Hondas, and, and I only had a 500cc motorcycle. And I lost all of the races, all of the time. And, and I wanted a bigger bike. And I had two or three of my buddies agreeing with me. They, they, they were praying in there. And we were naming it, and we were claiming it. And I, I had a picture of it that I prayed into. And I, I thought my prayers were really pretty firmly formed. And, and I was certainly seeking and, and, and knocking after that door. Have you prayed long enough for something and been glad that you didn't get it in retrospect? See, I, I nearly killed myself on a 500cc motorcycle. I, I, I did not have the maturity for the extra horsepower. And, and the Lord in his kindness um, ha, has been very patient waiting to answer those very heartfelt, very passionate prayers. It, 36 years he waited. It was, it was two years ago that, that I, I got that bike. 
And in the Lord's kindness, it's not a 750. It's an 800cc. <laughs> that thing's a rocket. I, I can do 100K in first gear and have five to go. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, when I was 21, I went off to seminary. And uh, at the time, I was reading E.M. Bounds. Bounds was a Methodist pastor a hundred years ago. He wrote uh, The Essentials of Prayer, The Reality of Prayer, The Purpose of Prayer, The Possibilities of Prayer, The Power of Prayer, The Weapon of Prayer. And, and from 1870 until his death in 1913, Bounds prayed from 4 o'clock in the morning until 7. There isn't anybody who makes me feel more guilty about my prayer life than E.M. Bounds. And, but he was also inspirational. And so much so that I went to the local hardware store and I bought Big Ben. You know those alarm clocks with the bells on the top? And at the time, I was living in a long shoebox of a, a bachelor apartment, one-room apartment, and I put Big Ben at the far end, and my bed was on the floor at the other end, and, and there's no way I was going to get up at four. I mean, let's be real. That, that was not going to happen. But I set Big Ben for 5.30, and he'd go off, and I would just jump straight out of bed, <laughs> run across the apartment, smash Big Ben off, and, <laughs> and I was up. But it was October by this point, and I didn't have money for heat, and so the warmest place in the apartment was back in bed. And, and it didn't take very long under the covers to fall back asleep. And... Uh, it was absolutely ludicrous. Every morning, Big Ben would go off at 5.30. I'd race across, turn him off, and then you know, I'd, I'd be on my knees in bed praying with the covers over, and, and I'd fall dead asleep. My legs would fall dead asleep. I wasn't even halfway through the Lord's Prayer. and I'm <laughs> I found out that if I just let Big Ben unwind for a minute and a half, I wouldn't have to get out and run across the room. This went on for about three weeks. And just heaps of guilt and condemnation and, you know, never going to amount to anything. And, you know, just, there's no call of God on your life and you want to just give this up and on and on and on and on. One morning, Big Ben gone off. I'm sound asleep on my knees in bed again. And I was up in a flash, dressed and out on the curb. What had woken me was the growl of the garbage truck down the street. And I'd missed the garbage truck a couple weeks running in the apartment stunk of garbage. As I put the garbage bag down on the street, I heard in my spirit the Lord ask a question. Why is it you can get up to meet the garbage man, but not me? Now, it was an indictment that the whole tone was invitation. I, I understood with that question that the Lord was saying, I want to spend that quiet time with you more than you want to spend it with me. And it, it, whole, it turned my understanding of prayer right there. Now, I, I like to read biography. I like to understand some of the guys like Bounds that are writing what they do. Bounds' wife died, or Bounds' wife's family died, rather, when he was in his middle age. 
and she had a significant family fortune that they inherited. So he didn't need to work. So while he was praying from 4 to 7, he also had a three-hour nap in the afternoon. See, if you're going to brag about how early you get up in the morning, you got to tell the whole truth because it's just not fair on the rest of us if we're trying to work the whole day having got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to try to pray. Well, thank you, E.M. Anyways. Several years later, I was reading another of my spiritual heroes, Francis of Assisi. Francis uh, had an itinerant ministry, traveled from village to village throughout Italy, preaching the gospel, praying for the sick, caring for the poor. And the charism on him was such that there were men and women who, who joined him and, and traveled with him and preached and prayed and, and cared like Francis. And stories told of, of Francis every once in a while just stopping and hitching up his monastic robes and, and sticking his head between his legs. And, and it was kind of a Three Stooges thing because he never gave anybody warning. So they're all wandering around and all of a sudden he's done the thing again. They have to plow into each other. And nobody wanted to be the one to ask Francis, what are you doing? But it so bugged them that eventually somebody stood up and said, Francis, why do you do that? And he went, do what? And he said, stick your head between your legs. And, and he said, tutto dipende dalla grazia di Dio. Not bad, eh? Everything depends on the grace of God. I can see from a number of your faces, you don't get it. Just stick your head between your legs. From this perspective, everything hangs. Francis said, were it not for the grace of God, the whole thing would come crashing down. need to remind myself of that once in a while. And then he went on to say, if we're going to see the kingdom of God, we have to see with new eyes, see from a new perspective. That's foundational for prayer. By way of um, some presuppositions, not just for this message on prayer, but for the entirety of our spiritual life. God initiates and we respond. We, we get ourselves into all manner of trouble when, when we invert that order. When, when we try to take the initiative and hope and pray that he'll respond in ways we think are right in the name of Jesus. Second, God knows us better than we know ourselves. When I was 17, he knew I did not have the maturity for that 750 Honda. There was a telephone pole with my name on it. <laughs> now, the fact that God knows us better than we know ourselves isn't in itself good news. It is good news that, thirdly, God loves us more than we love ourselves. And the last of the presuppositions, fourth, God loves us more than we love him. With that in hand, I want to use two verses to deepen our understanding and then our practice of prayer. 
the first from 1 John 3, 1. Consider how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us in calling us His children, for that is who we are. That and Matthew 6, verse 8. Your heavenly Father already knows what your needs are before you ask Him. Well, back to where we began. When I became a Christian, I forget whether it was Paul or, or Al, wrote on a table napkin the picture of a little throne and a little cross. And they used that to explain what life in Christ was all about. Somebody was on the throne and somebody was on the cross. That somebody was reigning and ruling and somebody was dying unto life. And it was up to me to choose. Was I going to stay on the throne of my life, my little life, trying to reign, trying to rule, and Jesus on the cross dying unto life that I might live? Or would I get off the throne, surrender the control of my life, allow him to reign and rule, but that necessarily meant that I had to die to self, unto life. It's a good little illustration. Sadly, they never applied that to the practice of prayer. Because I understand that it is possible to pray from the throne, as it were, reigning and ruling over my life, that would be self-directed prayer as opposed to spirit-led prayer where I've surrendered the control of my life, the reign, the rule, the authority, even over my prayer life, and instead died to self and allowed the spirit then to direct my prayer. See, for the longest time, I prayed to get things, to get things done, to get things changed. But even consecrated, it was still very much my will be done in Jesus' name. I'm certainly to the place where I no longer want something that God doesn't want me to have. I'm convinced that God loves me more than I love myself. I'm convinced that he knows me better than I know myself. And I'm also convinced that he has far greater plans for my life than I may ever understand. Certainly bigger plans than I'm presently aware of. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 18, the end of the prologue, the introduction to John's gospel, there's a, a summary statement. John says that Jesus came to reveal the Father. Some translations, to make the Father known. When we think about prayer, 
our first thought ought to be Father. Not what we think we need, but Father. That's the, the, the first key word in the Lord's Prayer. When, when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, Father, Father, holy is your name. Above all else, what God has initiated and to which we respond, it's this revelation of his character, who he is, what he does, how he does it. Father. Certainly when we listen in on the prayers of Jesus, the distinctive, the fundamental essence of his prayer, Abba, Father. And it's his understanding and experience of sonship of the Father's authority of care over his life. His sense of God's love that was so real, so close, so compelling, that it can only find its expression in that most tender of words, Abba, Father. In Matthew 6, Jesus can tell his disciples not to be anxious because he knows his Father's care. And he intends his followers to know and experience that same authority of care. If, if you tally up the numbers, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches once that the maker of heaven and earth is our Father. Once he names Lord God my Father. And 13 times he teaches that the master of the universe is your Father. Remember John, 1 John 3, 1, consider how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us in calling us his children, but that is who we are. When we know ourselves to be God's beloved, cherished children, we're quick to pray, to cast all our cares on him and know that he cares for us. That's 1 Peter 5, 7. In John 17, verse 26, that, that long prayer, the, the, the great apostolic prayer of Jesus, the conclusion to that, Righteous Father, I have made your name known. NIV drops name. I don't understand why they do it. It's there in the Greek. That's why Jesus came to reveal the name of God, Father. The whole prayer is that Jesus prays that it would continue to be known. That name, the revelation of the name of God, the Father heart of God would be known. So that the love which you have in me may be in them and I in them. Now, I don't particularly care for this when um, the preacher does this, but indulge me, please. Would you look at your neighbor and smile and, and, and say, Jesus loves you? Thank you. Now, would you look at somebody else, maybe turn around and smile 
and, and, and say, Jesus loves you. Okay, now, one more time, somebody else, would you look at them and say, Jesus really, really loves me. Come on. Now, some of you had more difficulty with the third one than you did with the first two. No worry, no, no problem declaring the truth of the gospel that Jesus really loves you. And Jesus really, really loves you. I'm not so sure. Now, if, if you did have difficulty with the third, I want to assign you some homework this afternoon. I want you to lock yourself in the toilet. That's the secret place. You can stay in there as long as you need to. Somebody bangs on the door, you go, just please go away, I, I'm, I'm not well. <laughs> and they'll leave you be. And you're not lying. I, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror, eyeball to eyeball. And you keep saying, Jesus really, really loves you until you can hold yourself and not look away. Not kind of, Jesus really. It's the truth of the gospel. Jesus really, really loves you. When you can do that, you will walk out of the loo a free person. Well, see, that's what Jesus is praying out of John 17, that you and I would know that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Father, may they know that the love which you have for me be in them, that we would know God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. I don't have any difficulty at all believing, knowing that God really, really loves his son. I, I do still have a bit of difficulty believing, knowing in my heart of hearts that God loves me as much as he loves Jesus. And that's what Jesus is praying that I would get, that I'd finally understand. Well, so what? There is a great deal of truth in the saying, we are so earthly-minded, we're no heavenly good. And I do intend it that way around. So earthly-minded, we are no heavenly good. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 6 
Paul prays, or declares rather, that God is rich in mercy. And because of his great love for us, he brought us to life with Christ. And he raised us up in union with him and enthroned us in the heavenly realm. As far as God's concerned, that's where he sees us. That's, if you will, where he relates to us in the heavenly realm. But most of us, most of the time, myself included, live from below. I'm certainly learning I don't want to pray from below. Come, uh, I'm here till the 19th of March. In April, uh, I'm preaching in Burlington, just west of Toronto, on the 7th and the 14th. And the 20th, I do a prayer day in Niagara Falls. After that, there is nothing on my diary. After the 20th of April, I have absolutely no idea what I will be doing. As in, after the April 20th, I don't have a job. As in, after April 20th, I don't have an income. Zero idea. I can pour out my heart and passionately let the Lord know of my need for full-time employment. I've even come to the place where I've said, Lord, I don't need a full-time job, but I do need full-time income. So, you know, work out the details. I can get all wound up about it. In fact, in the natural, from below, it feels irresponsible not to be freaked out. You know, no offense, but, but when you're 20, 22, it, it, it's one thing not to know what you're doing with your life. At 57, you ought to have that sorted, right? I haven't a clue what it is he purposed. There are relationships I'd like restored. And I could pour out my heart from below asking the Lord for all of that. I, I'd, I'd really like to get my handicap to sing, single figures. And I could put that before the Lord. Or I can pray from above. Knowing that He is Lord of my life. Knowing that he knows my need for employment, he knows my financials. I know that he knows about my different relationships. He doesn't seem to be at all fussed about any of that. He's certainly not fussed about my handicap. If I pray from below about a job, about relationships, about whatever it is that's on my heart, as passionately as I know, as if I contend for those things, at the end of that prayer, I'm still just as wound up about it all as I was at the start. 
from above, if I know that he knows, if I know that he loves me more than I love myself, if I know that he is purposing immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine, I still put those concerns before him, but from above. I can passionately cry out, Lord, would you redeem the mess of my life? Or from above, I can remind myself he is redeemer. That's who he is. That's what he does. And so instead, I ask, Lord, how are you redeeming this mess? He is peace. I can either cry out from below for peace or I can enter into the peace that he is and trust that he is at work redeeming my life. Does that make sense? There's a world of difference. The question, which is more important for you? For him to know what's on your heart or for you to know what's on his? What, whatever it is you think you most need. Is it most important for you to know that he knows what that's all about? Or for you to know how he's feeling about that same issue? So for almost two years, the Lord has not had me read very much scripture other than Jeremiah 33, verse 11. I mean, physically, I can turn the pages, but he keeps bringing me back to Jeremiah 33, 11. It's, it's kind of like there's just not uh, um, life anywhere else. It's not even a full verse in Jeremiah 33, 11. It's three words. I shall restore. For two years, that's about all the scripture I've read. I shall restore. About eight months ago now, maybe ten months now, he let me go to verse 26, Jeremiah 33. Not a full verse there either, but um, in my compassion, I shall restore. I'm starting to get the hang of it, that, that that is rock solidly established within, that that's who he is, that that's what he does, that that's what he's working in and through my life, that restoration. It's been hard, hard work resting in that knowledge. Thank you so much for the worship. It's that worship that lifts me up above, rising up on eagles' wings as we wait, that strength restored. God working in us as we rest in him, 
Would you take a deep breath? And think about what you think you most need right now. What it is that has you wound up. What it is you're anxious about. What it is that wakes you up in the middle of the night. You might want to close your eyes and just hold out your hands. Pray a very simple prayer. Father, I receive the grace that you have for me this day. Over against whatever has you wound up, whatever it is you're anxious about, whatever you think you most need. Father, I receive the grace that you have for me this day. I receive the peace and the joy and the freedom that you purpose. Lord, thank you for your redeeming grace. Thank you for the strength and for the hope and for the fullness that you purpose. Father, thank you for kingdom provision. Thank you for heaven's blessings. I receive the grace that you have for me this day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's some for whom that very simple illustration of a cross and a throne, a throne and a cross, help bring definition to your life, what you're facing right now. Some of you are very much trying your darndest to reign and rule over your life. That, that self direction. The invitation of Jesus is to slip out of that throne and let him take that place. That does, though, mean that you then die to self. That he might live his life, the fullness of life in you, through you. If you've never made that shift, we sure would like to pray with you, come alongside, answer some of your questions maybe.
So please don't leave if, if that makes a whole lot of sense. For some of you, a number of you, your prayer life needs this same shift. Again, we'd like to come alongside, pray with you. Heaven's world, as in heaven, so on earth. That's what Jesus purposes. But for us to know heaven's world, transforming this one, it's not so much that we pull it down, but we enter in. Not pull down a little bit of peace into our anxious fears, but enter into his peace. He is the God of peace. And so I bless you this day that the God of peace make you whole and holy through and through, spirit, soul, and body in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Guy. Um,